Today's episode of the Guru Presario podcast is sponsored by the Law Offices of George Salinas. The Law Offices of George Salinas is an award-winning personal injury law firm based in San Antonio, Texas. George Salinas has been recognized as a Texas super lawyer, which is limited to the top 5% attorneys in the state. The firm was also recognized for a top 10 verdict in Texas and top 100 verdict in the U.S. in 2020. To learn more, Give them a call at 210-225-0909 or visit them at salinastriallaw.com. The following contains adult language, content, and descriptions of actions not suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. Guru Presario Media presents the Guru Presario Podcast, starring me, Mal Sanchez. The word entrepreneur gets thrown around a lot, but it's defined by very few. Join me as I sit down with those that I've come to know, and through the art of conversation, we can all learn a little something from the nature of our work. Let's start the show. Alrighty, what's up guys? Episode 27, right Oz? Episode 27 of the Guru Presario podcast. I'm actually here with Diego Bernal, Texas State Representative, um, who's actually joined us from D.C., uh, virtual then. I know we had some uh, we had some internet issues, but it looks like we're, we're rolling and streaming good now, man. Yeah, I think so. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, Diego. Thanks for coming on. Quick question, man. Food better in D.C. or is food better here? Mexican food. Uh, so the food is definitely better at home, but... We did find one place. We found one place in D.C. called El Sol. And once we found it, I've been there probably four or five times in the last week. Uh, so definitely better at home, but I found one spot. It, it, it exists in a kind of in a basement, like in the basement of a brownstone. No way. It, it looks like just one little hallway with tables, but it's it's the real deal. So if you're ever in D.C., go to El Sol. El Sol, um, shout out. The food... The food is good and the margaritas are strong and it's, nice. it's a good spot. And they've been, they've been so kind to us since we've all started coming. Yep. They've just been amazing. They know what we're up to. They know why we're here. Um, they showed us incredible hospitality, but it's been like a little, like a little haven. little piece uh, of home back a, in DC. Yeah. Just a place to relax and, and take a load off for a minute and have some honest conversations with our colleagues. That's amazing, man. Well, let's, di- let's dive in, bro. Give us a little insight. What do you, why are you in DC? What's going on? Yeah, so we're in D.C. to break quorum. This would be the second time we break quorum. What breaking quorum means is that there's a rule. Uh, I'm, I'm a member of the Texas House. So there's a rule in the House that says a certain number of people are required for the House to conduct business. And after trying to negotiate, after trying to amend, after trying to reason with our colleagues on a voting rights bill, this is a bill that's 47 pages long, and it, it has a number of pieces, a number of provisions, that in our opinion would affect and restrict and hurt the freedom to vote in Texas by everybody, Republican, Democrat, black, white, Latino, Asian, et cetera. It hurts everybody. And what we did is because they wouldn't take our amendments, because they wouldn't negotiate, because they were determined to pass this bill. And let's remember the origin of the bill comes from this sort of lie that there's election integrity problems, that there's a, a that the election system is broken, that 
it's been rigged in that Donald Trump should have won the election. That's really where this comes from. Donald Trump should have won the election. We've got a fake president in office. And so we've, we've got to fix the, the election system because of that. Such a Even dangerous though, rhetoric. Go on. It, it's, it, look, not only is it ridiculous, but the numbers don't bear out. I'm going to do some nerdy numbers for you real yep. quick. The Republican far-right AG, he's so far-right, he was in D.C. on January 6th during the insurrection. His own numbers say that voter fraud in Texas is so minuscule that the likelihood of it happening is even less than you or I being struck by lightning or hit by a meteorite. And yet here we have all these bills, not just in Texas, but across the country, um, trying to restrict and, and impede and change what it looks like to vote in this country. So what we decided to do, because the bill was about to pass, was we, we used that quorum rule I, I mentioned before, and we left, meaning that the House stops. They cannot do any more business. And we came to D.C. We came to D.C. for two reasons. One is that, at least right now, the governor has the authority, well, actually the Speaker of the House has the authority to have us arrested and brought back to the House to make quorum so they can pass their bills. I don't think that's a constitutional rule, but it is a rule nonetheless. So we wanted to stay out of the jurisdiction of Texas DPS, of, of Texas law enforcement, so they can't bring us back and just hold us there, literally hold us there while they take a vote. You can't get extradited? <laughs> well, I mean, theoretically we could, but you would need the, the authorities in D.C. to agree to do that. Right, right. right. They, they have asked the authorities in DC to extradite us, and they, what do they say? ignored it. Good. But the idea that the idea that you would send law enforcement to my house to capture me and collect me and bring me back just so you have a warm body in the room so you can then continue voting is wild to me. I don't think it's constitutional, but they have the rule anyway. But the other reason why we came to DC was because we know that if we pass federal acts as a, a sort of protection, as guardrails, as say, a raising the bottom floor. Sorry, Diego, say that again because it broke up. Yeah, so we came to D.C. because the federal government can pass voting rights legislation, pass voting rights laws that apply to all the states, not just Texas, but all the states, um, to at least add some protections to keep the worst things that are in the Texas bill and all the bills throughout Georgia, Florida, elsewhere, from happening. And so we've been hammering and negotiating and talking with uh, members of Congress, members of the U.S. Senate, and you're seeing movement. You're seeing new bills, bills being drafted. You're seeing other bills being changed and amended. We just need something that will keep the bottom from falling out um, in Texas. And look, I recognize that some people don't like the tactics that we're using. They don't like the method. Um, in, in my mind, it's no different in some ways than the filibuster. Uh, so if they break the filibuster, you know, we'll certainly make that exception and, and go back home. But What's different about this issue versus any others, uh, guns, abortion, um, education, et cetera, issues that we lose on all the time, right? We file bills, they don't get passed, they take votes, we lose the votes. What's different about this is this is the system that all those other things are built on. If you don't have this system, everything else is a, is a, is a joke. Everything else right. is a farce because you've predetermined the outcome. You've rigged, you've rigged the system. You've rigged the game to produce an end. It's like ink and water. Once the ink's in there, the whole thing is different. So, so this is this is the fundamental piece. Do you think? Do you think that their biggest push to try to do this is to one bring credibility to when election time comes again, 
and then to say that, hey, this was rigged, or do you think it's more so to control, like you're saying, step one is infringe on the foundation and then the things that, that follow there, right? It's a, it's a great question. I think the first part is to lend credibility to the idea that the election system is rigged already and that it produced this false outcome, which is Joe Biden winning the presidency and Donald Trump losing the presidency. If they all pass these bills, they're sort of saying, we're doing this because this was, a, this was an outcome that is sort of tainted, right? Right. So they're, they're trying to sort of reverse engineer the validity of the election. But moving forward, it's, I think it's designed to make it harder for some people who live in some places who tend to be black, Latino, working class, to make it harder for them to vote because that's a growing electorate that tends to lean blue. And as the state gets more and more competitive, Texas, sure, it's Republican. It went Republican. We've got all Republican leadership, but the margins continue to shrink. And every time the margins shrink, they introduce a new measure, whether it's voter ID with the most restrictive voter ID in the country um, or it's HB3. All of those gains and growth are punctuated by some Republican effort to make it harder to cast a ballot. And while it sounds like I'm saying we need to allow more Democrats to vote, what I'm saying is this is a fundamental freedom, whether it's Republican or Democrat, people should have this right infringed upon and compare the way that we're talking about and dealing with voting rights versus guns right. in the state, or they pass permitless carry, which you can, if you have a gun, you can have a gun. It doesn't matter if you've got training, if you've got a license, um, you can have it in your car, you can open carry, you can do all these things without really any, any documentation. And here we are adding restrictions and procedures and trap doors and trip wires to voting. It just shows you where this idea of freedom and liberty is and isn't in our state. I hope that makes sense. I yeah. know I'm, I'm going it, in, but... No, I think 100% it does. I think they understand that they're losing ground, and I'll say that specifically because I grew up with more of a Republican... I, well, not, I wouldn't say Republican, but I was very conservative growing up. Um, sure. not, not by my parents. My parents are apolitical. They, they're, they do not participate in politics in any way, but my ideas were always pretty conservative. But when I began to see the things happening when Donald Trump came into office, honestly, I, I wrote republicanism conservatism off um i'm not saying i'm full-on you know democrat but i do not i i think they're losing ground and i think right now it's like hey we're gonna try to scrap whatever we can to restrict from other millennials maybe people my age from being able to participate in things like that and my parents you made a good point during your testimony that um you had mentioned you know the spanish-speaking neighbor that and, and, and I, I went so far to add, because I was talking to a friend about it, I went so far to add to say that, um, you know, what if it's the Spanish-speaking neighbor that's agoraphobic, that doesn't like being around people, and now that they know that, hey, there's going to be, um, you, had, you had stated that the other party could have participants, the volunteers there, that could ideally, um, what did you, you said something about it, it, it would not threaten yeah, them, you're, but you're they could. No, they, they could. And that's, that's the part is, is that, in all, and by the way, when I make these arguments, people assume because it's coming from me that I'm talking about Republican partisan poll watchers, right? But if you live in a red, if you live in a red area, pick your boogeyman, Antifa, right? Right. There's nothing stopping Antifa from doing the same thing to you and your voters. It works both ways. 
Right. Right. So, so yes, the new law would allow a partisan poll watcher, meaning a, a person who's in the polling place, who is put there by the party, not by not the county who's running the election, but a party, Republican or Democrat. They're allowed to roam freely throughout the polling place now if the if this bill was to pass. They're allowed to get close enough to you to see and hear what's called voting activity, how what that distance is is, is unresolved. Right. The bill then says that they are allowed to break election code or penal code. That's election law or the criminal or criminal law. They can break it. And the only thing that the election judge the supervisor for that site can do is give them a warning they're allowed to stay in the polling place and so this is written you're in the about, bill that's in the bill um if, if people are bored and they they want to go through my tweets I, I i post this part of the bill over and over again because i think it's one of the worst parts but remember that the election code the, the penal code is large that's not just harassing intimidating that's hitting slapping pushing murdering uh, it's all in it not that they would, but you understand what I'm saying. Right. They, don't, they don't limit it. They don't. They just say it. They said, right. if they can break the election code or the penal code, then all the election judge can do is give them a warning. The only time they can throw them out and remove them is if the election judge themselves sees it a second time. So if everyone else in the polling place saw it and tells the election judge, but the election judge didn't see it themselves, that person gets to stay. Right. They got to see it a second time. Now, yes. The election judge can call the cops. They can call the police. Yeah, but that takes time for them to get there. Unless you got some bouncers that are going to like straight up, like you know, do something. (laughs) Then, but but it doesn't. It doesn't say the the law doesn't say these are the kinds of situations where you actually can remove someone the first time. It just says election code and penal code. And so let's let's say for example that you're voting. Some guy comes and pushes you out of the way, saying, "I don't like what you're doing. I don't like how you're voting." I don't think, I think you're undocumented, whatever. The election, the election judge, all they can do is say, don't do that again. And let's say that you have the gumption to try and return to that voting machine and vote again or finish voting. If that person does it again, let's say the election judge doesn't see it, but, but everyone in the polling place did. And they tell the election judge, hey, you've got to remove this person because he's harassing this guy. And the election judge decides to remove that person, even though they didn't see it themselves. That person can sue the election judge under this bill for breaking that law. So there's an imbalance between the person whose job it is to protect the polling place and the, these partisan poll watchers who can do even more, right? And, and man, you and I are talking about one little corner, like one page, literally one right. section of one page of a 47-page bill. Just this part that we're talking about right now. That's ridiculous, man. Um, that alone, I could see, what's that sound we're hearing? Course. That alone I could see, I mean, thinking of like, you know, aunts and uncles that don't necessarily speak English. They're American citizens, but they just don't interact with a lot of people that don't speak, that they, they don't interact with people that speak English much. I could already see it that the moment something like that happens, and it doesn't even have to be so far as getting pushed. It could no. literally be just getting stared at with someone Absolutely. wearing a MAGA hat, and they would probably be like, okay, I'm leaving. Like, this is weird. One hundred percent. I mean, and, and you're right. I mean, I can use the extreme example, but the everyday example probably looks a lot like that. And look, what I was saying in my congressional testimony was, sure, some people will power through it, but some people won't. Most people and that's won't. what the point. That's what the point shaving looks like is just losing enough. And let's not forget 
what happens when they get back home, when they share their experience, if they decide to vote again in the future, if they know that's what it's going to be like, or how many people decide not to vote at all because they heard what happened to this neighbor. The radiating effects, the long-term effects are bad. And again, we're talking about the freedom to vote. This is something that's listed in the Constitution, not even as an amendment, but in the original document, right? It's that important. And, um, you know, some of my colleagues are being really cavalier about it, but it's it's deadly serious. Our, our people have fought so hard um, to earn that right, to get that right. A lot of our folks, uh, there's a strong military tradition um, in our community to defend the Constitution. I don't care if they're Republican or Democrat, liberal, conservative. When they when they enter the service, they're thinking about exactly this. And so we have to we have to honor um, that sacrifice. And again, I know people think and assume that I'm just talking about Democrats, but I'm not. You know, most of my family in the Valley are Republicans. Right. They're conservative. They work in oil and gas. Right. They're they're hunters. They 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 love their guns. I get it. This has a higher likelihood of affecting them than it does me because they and their families, a lot of them, uh, you know, they need assistance voting in, because of language. Look, just I think the stats, I might get it wrong, but I think this is right. One out of 10 native-born Latinos need help with language when voting. And 50% of naturalized citizens who are Latino need help with language voting. And so the voter assistance piece alone has all of these trapdoors, all of these tripwires. Um, that not only can keep them from voting, but it also criminalizes any mistakes you make, even if there's no intent. Yeah. So explain, it criminalizes that. accidents. Explain that. You gave a great example in your testimony to Congress. Go ahead and explain it. Yeah. So we could so we could hear it again. I'll, I'll try to I'll try to be quick. I know you, I don't want to eat up all your time, yeah. but but um, so if I'm if I'm taking let's say that you need assistance voting, right? And I say to you. Um, like, you know, we're in conversation. Hey, have you voted yet? You say no. Like, hey, you know what? Let's go. I'll take you. Uh, let's say I've acted as your assistant in the past. So I'll do that again. Come on. Let's, let's, let's go. I'll, I'll, I'll drive. I'll get right. the car. Right. Yeah. I'll drive. Let's do it. So when we, when we get to the, to the polling place, now let's just talk about the new things, right? The first new thing that you and I would encounter is that I've got to fill out a new form as your voter assistant saying they get my name, they get my address, they get my relationship to you. And then I've got to swear and affirm that I, I haven't been paid by a you know, campaign or a, a candidate. I don't, I don't know what that document's for. I don't know if it's private. I don't know um, anything about it, except that all of a sudden I've got to do it. Now, in an area like where I live in San Antonio, if there's enough people who have to do that, that just starts to add to the line a little bit. It just makes things take a little longer. So we get past, let's say that I'm like, all right, that's fine. We get past that part. And then we go to the oath that I take um, to be your assistant. There's a, a the, the oath in itself now says that any mistake I make, whether intentional or not, is, is now a, a state jail felony. So already there, I'm like, whoa, that's right. new. That's different, right? Um, so right there, some folks might peel off. I, I might peel off because I'm afraid. Let's say, let's say I've got a record and I'm super worried about it. Or let's say I'm spooked by it. Or let's say that you say, hey, I don't want to get Diego in trouble. Like, I, this is not what I'm used to. Let's, so people might peel off there. Let's say we get past that point. 
Then there's a part that says that now the only reason I can help you and the way that it looks is because you cannot see, you cannot read, or you cannot write, meaning that I can only translate for you or I can help you mark your ballot because you physically can't, but that's it. And that in the past, as your assistant, I've been able to help you navigate the building. I've been able to interact with coworkers on your behalf. And I've been able to sort of answer some questions while we're voting, not who to vote for, but let's say if I'm translating and, and I'm trying to explain to you the difference between the comptroller and the railroad commissioner, right? Or, or a good one is, you know, if there's a state board of education race and a school board race, just explaining the difference. Right. But now all I can do is translate, just translate. And if I do more than that, and we get caught, right, caught, state jail felony. And it was, it was okay in the past. But let's say that that's not enough to scare us. That, that new element is not enough to scare us, me or you, and I go to the bottom of the oath. There's another part of the oath that says that I have to swear um, that I didn't convince or coerce or persuade you to choose me as your assistant. And in, in the Senate version, it uses the word encourage, which is even broader. Hmm. And if you think about if you think about the, the conversation that we had to get here, like, hey, have you voted no? I'll take you. Come on, I'll get the car. Let, let, let's go do it. We've got to get it done. Did I just violate that part? Did I coerce you? Did I persuade you to right. choose me as your assistant? I don't know. But if on the if the answer is remotely yes, I'm out of it. And you might say, "Hey, you got to go because this this is this is wild. Like we can't, right? We can't step it. We can't cross this line." And again, maybe it doesn't sound like a big deal to folks, but in just this one element of the bill, you can see all of these exit points where people will opt not to. Right, engage. it's it's suppressive in nature, and even and right. even then, anybody who understands language knows that you know just because you say something in Spanish doesn't mean it means the same thing in English. So also. Like, what are these guys, English you, majors, to like? Well, well, plus, we're not, most of us aren't trained in translating these sort of documents anyway. So right. imagine if you get to like a bond initiative or a constitutional amendment, and all you can do is translate without describing what it means or does. It's wild. And then let's say we get past that point. Then we get to the voting machine, and that's where we encounter the partisan poll watcher. Who's going to be looking, arguably, for people in our situation? Right. Someone who's with someone else voting, who are going to talk to each other a little bit, who they might not like the way that we look or sound. They may assume because we're both brown um, that we're Democrats. We very well could be, you know, Trump card carrying Republicans. Right. But then we then we encounter all the things that you and I just talked about before this. Right. That's all in this one bill. Right. This is all one bill. We haven't even gotten to the other parts that add criminal penalties, the the uh, the way that they can throw out your vote if you don't use the same document you used to register, the, the way that they criminalize um, uh, some mild forms of campaigning, the way that they criminalize using a, a mail-in ballot. I mean, this is all part of the bill. And then I'll, I'll stop with this because I can do this forever. Yeah. But let's, re and this is where we've been able to get some traction with senators. Remember that Texas already has the strictest voter ID law in the country. Right. We weren't even, we're not even fighting that fight right now. We don't have online voter registration for everybody.
we don't have um, as of right mail-in ballots. The only people who can use a mail-in ballot are the disabled, the elderly, veterans, and there's a few other categories like astronaut, right? Yeah. Um, we, and we already, uh, we don't have same day voter registration. A lot of the senators we're talking to didn't realize that that was our status quo. They thought we were fighting over those parts. And we're saying, no, that's the way things are now. Right. This bill goes, this goes beyond that. that. Yeah. And, and they're like, oh shit, we have, we've had that in our, in our state for years, for decades. So uh, that's, that's been a really, that's been an interesting moment where they realize that our starting position, our starting posture would be considered voter suppression by their standards in their states. Right. So they're already uh, viewing it like, hey, this, this stuff is really bad. Right. Like, like this is not a cut. This is a cut to the bone. So what kind because, of, what, yeah. What kind of, so what kind of, tell us what kind of feedback are you getting back in D.C. from the, from, you know, Congress? Yeah, we've gotten, I would say, really good feedback. Um, and you can see that in, in the fact that they're working on new legislation, whether brand new legislation or narrow legislation, narrow versions of pre-existing legislation, both on the congressional and the Senate side. That's because of, that's because of this pressure, not only us being there, but also the, the sort of national attention it's gotten. And now the, the people from other states, we've had 500 state legislators from around the country show up uh, the last two days, not only to support us in our efforts, but to say this is a bigger problem than just Texas. The, the Texas folks are just the ones who sort of raise the, the profile of the issue. It's been good. You know, whether or not something happens on our timeline remains to be seen, uh, whether or not it, they can negotiate something that will survive um, the filibuster versus making an exception to the filibuster, which I think is less likely in the Senate. I think saying, hey, what if we took this? And did this? Can we get sixty for that? Um, that remains to be seen, but I do feel like there's a sense of inevitability that something happens, whether it happens when we want it to or in time to stop what's happening in Texas remains to be seen. But a win is a win. We just we don't know when we're going to get there. Right. Being all you know, seeing all this from a civilian standpoint. Um, I see this. I see this being very dangerous rhetoric being pushed by the Republican side. I, I want to ask you a question to kind of draw some attention to. You know, being a representative, are you getting threats? Are you wh what type of backlash are you getting from you know from all this? Every backlash? everything everything you can imagine, we're getting. You know, get back to work. You're abandoning your duties. You're a bad person. You don't deserve your office. Starting there, all the way to. You know, I hope you die. Your children are ashamed. You know, beaner, spick. But are pe are people like go in your house and stuff, Diego? Or, you know, how bad? Well, is that? you know, for, well, first of all, I wouldn't know because I'm not there. Right. Um, right. But, but um, now this is mostly um, messages they leave on, and it's interesting. They leave, they mostly voice mail. Right. Messages. They're not. They're not sending. A lot of the really bad stuff is ending up in the spam filter because they use too many bad too many terrible terms it just it gets there right um social social media dms have been really interesting yeah I bet. but uh but for the most part it's it's voicemail and i i'm honestly of the opinion that um and by, and by the way shout out to my staff and all of our staffs for dealing with this for feeling them for having the conversation with these folks because they're not getting to us they're getting to them right but my staff's been amazing but 
you know, my staff is trained and they know, let's figure out if these people are actually constituents. Right. And for the most part, they're not. Not that it matters, but for the most part, they're not. So I really believe there's a national hit squad of people just going down the list of the Texas Democrat reps and just saying the same thing and writing the same thing. Yeah, I could, I so could, I sort of I could see that. I could absolutely see that. Uh, another yeah. another point we got to touch on is uh, recently there there's been an uptick in Delta variant cases, right? Um, Texas has seemed to be one of the most restrictive in terms of you know Governor Abbott has instilled some some uh, laws in place where businesses can't mandate masks, um, they can't mandate I'm assuming vaccines either. Um, right. It puts it puts people who you know have to work that don't have the mobility to work from home in a very right. dangerous position, you know, specifically I have family members that are, are very high risk, you know, diabetes, right. and they don't have an option to stay home and, and work from home. And now that these businesses can't mandate a mask or mandate, you know, only vaccinated individuals to come in to me, it's putting them in danger. And, you know, honestly, as a, as a civilian, I don't know how I would react if, you know, one of my family members got sick knowing that this is what's happening. What's a, right. what what's what's the conversation like with Abbott, man? What is this? Well, I I, I, I appreciate the fact that you think that he's having a conversation with us at all. No, oh, uh, because he's not. But I, but I want to add another dimension to what you're talking about because yeah. everything you just said is true, but it's also true for schools. Right. So he also said that schools can't mandate masks. Right. As school is going to start for my daughter, it starts Monday. Um, so you can only imagine if you're a parent or a teacher or an administrator there. And there's no virtual option. Right. So those some people who want to keep their kids home or aren't comfortable with the circumstances or they've got a, a child who is already high risk, they've got a pre-existing condition. There's there's no there's no option. Wait, there's no can, virtual option. Are kids under twelve vaccinated yet or no? No, no, there's no vaccine. Jesus. That's so that's another kids. layer of <laughs> of risk it's like these guys have nothing to protect themselves right and so and so we we'd hammered him so much on that that he announced the special session call for the next special session after this today i think that's going to start on saturday so this is going to keep going um and he's added covid conversation covid protection covid allocations to that i think as a as a ruse to say hey if you guys are really serious about it you're going to come home, right? And what, I, what we say to him is, look, man, if he was talking to us, right? we'd say, you actually don't need us for any of that. You got $250 million for a border wall on your own without the legislature. You can use that same authority, that same power to deploy COVID resources, to deploy COVID funds. You can lift the mask mandate right now on your own. But you're not. So don't make it seem like you need us to do this. You've already exercised your king slash emperor slash dictator powers right. already on this issue. And uh, in fact, all movement on COVID happened between legislative sessions anyway. So he still has that authority and he has that ability. And if he wanted to do it, he could. He's using COVID as uh, a political tool to kind of get the public pressures to go back in. And we're saying, look, man. You can do it on your own. If you were really serious about it, you would have done it, and you can do it. So let's see if you're serious. If you think that you need us there, there's all these examples that shows that you don't and you haven't. So, you know, we'll, we'll play that game of chicken if he wants, but he's not serious. And for those of you who are curious, um, 
the, the, the legal mechanism that he used for the border wall, $250 million, he could use for COVID. He could use for this 13th check idea for retired teachers. He could use for foster care reform. And under his emergency and disaster powers, he could fund Article 10, which is the, the entire legislative branch that he vetoed. But he also could use that for COVID as well. He has the ability and the tools to do it. Whether or not he does is up to him. But the idea that it depends upon us is a fallacy. It's complete science fiction. Right. How does someone get into get out of touch with reality so bad, man? You know, it's a good question. Um, and I'll just sort of give you my political philosophy and that I yeah. think explains all of it. My political philosophy is you can't love this shit that much. Right. In other words, it's something that I do, but it can't be who I am. If I lose an election, I'm still Diego. I'm still going to help people just find another way to do it. Right. He's clearly running for higher office. And when you're running for higher office, all he's thinking about are his are his primary voters, not the country. We think he's running for president, but his primary voters. Um, so whether he's running for president or he's just going to run for governor again, he's trying to make them happy. And his base, not Republicans in general, but the base of Republicans who vote in primaries, when it's just Republicans voting against each other, those are the January 6th insurgents. Right. Those are the anti-vaxxers. Those are the anti-maskers. Um, and he's trying to keep those people happy so people can run to the right of him. Uh, I guess this is my right. Uh, so th that's, that's what I think all this comes from. Is, and that's why I say it's not a political tool. At a certain point, you just have to govern your state and not worry about what's going to happen to you politically. And I feel like from this person, we're seeing the opposite. He's thinking so small, right? He's thinking so much about himself that he's willing to sacrifice people and let them get hurt. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say I would say that if he was a if he was a Democrat too, right? Of this course. is not about me trying to beat him. It's just saying, look, I'm saying, look, I'm sending my kid, who's four, will be four in two weeks, her first day of pre-K. It's Monday. And, you know, I don't know what the right play is. I don't know. Do I trust that it doesn't hurt kids that much? Is the Delta variant worse for them in terms of their health? I mean, it's more contagious, but it is it worse for them? I've heard there's kids do in I, ICUs, man. There, there are. Do I keep her home? Do I have the capacity, financially especially, to homeschool her? What does it mean for my kid to miss pre-K? He could help with that, and, and he's not. So it's also very personal for me because my daughter and all the other kids and the administrators and the teachers, they deserve the safest environment possible, and he's literally taking that tool away. It is very personal, and, and the health risks are very real. There's a, there's a big point in all this, right, and I, and I want to bring attention to this, but there's a young audience out there, and this young audience – some of them do not believe in voting. We know that Governor Abbott is due for re-election next year. It's a big opportunity for these young people to get to the polls and and really, really understand the difference that that could make. Yeah. So when it comes to this issue, I want to I want to separate any conversation of voting for me or voting even for or against him. I think the point here is that we can see that the people who we elect, their decisions do affect our daily lives. Of course. And in Texas, the margins between the winners and the losers are getting smaller and smaller. So every vote does count. And 
because the margins are getting smaller and every vote counts. That's why they're adding these new restrictions because they know that. In other words, the audience that you're talking about are exactly the people they're thinking about and are worried about. I don't care if they're Republican or Democrat, because the right. thing is, let's say that that five or ten percent more people vote than voted before. And let's say they actually elect Republicans again. I still have hope that there are more reasonable Republicans than this current governor. I know lots of really good, reasonable Republicans. They're, I mean, they're otherwise amazing people, but their economic philosophy is I want to get rich and I want to stay rich. Don't touch my money. And that's what makes them Republican. Fine. Right. Fine. But you know what? That Republican's not gonna not gonna keep schools from using masks. That Republican's not gonna perpetuate um a sort of anti-vax agenda. That Republican is not going to go after trans kids. That Republican is not going to use, you know, seven-year-olds crossing the border uh, as, as some sort of scapegoat. That, for, that, that Republican doesn't care about hurting the LGBTQ community at all. That Republican probably wants to invest in public schools. That Republican probably wants to invest in higher education. Fine, elect that Republican. Right. Right. It, it's not about me winning because of my party. It's about some sort of rational reasonable attached to reality take on governing and if that means a reasonable republican fine i'm i can live with that i'm a democrat in texas i'm used to losing but i want i want to operate in a, a sense of reality um that doesn't legitimately result in the the pain and suffering and even death of people i think we can at least walk away from that and then debate the issues otherwise does that make sense it does it does it does I think, um, I mean, I haven't met many the Republicans that you're speaking about since 2016, but I do, be, I do believe that there are, you know, Republicans out there that aren't willing to put the public at risk, that are willing to take the measures that they that they need to take to protect the public. Yeah, look, I mean, if that's me, I like Democrats, you won't have this problem, right? But, but, but I guess what I'm saying is it has more to do with people participating than me wanting them to elect me or people from my party. I think the more people part that participate, the less insanity there is because there's enough thoughtful people to demonstrate that they're not going to stand for that. Um, and when we when Democrats flipped 12 seats in the Texas House two sessions ago, I don't believe that all those folks became Democrat. I think they saw how insane the Republican agenda was. This was the bathroom bill session. Right. where we should have been doing school finance and instead we're focusing on where people went to the bathroom and all those folks came out and voted for you know moderate democrats for the most part and it wasn't because they all became democrats because they said enough of that noise. right if, if you say enough of that noise you and you elect democrats great if you say enough of that noise and you elect thoughtful republicans we can we can do that in texas we we know how to we know how to make that work whether i mean maybe everybody walks away pissed off, but that means that we did something. Right. Right. Cool with that. Totally cool with that. Right. I agree. Uh, I want to finish, Diego. I usually finish the podcast, um, again, touching back to the younger audience. Uh, what type of advice or what would you tell the younger audience that's listening or watching this on YouTube um, in terms of, you know, whether it's the state, the state that they're, that we're currently in as, as a nation? Uh, what type of advice do you have for the younger audience listening, man? 
I think that they can make a bigger difference than they realize. And it's not just the vote. I recognize that voting is sort of one action. But they, especially because of social media and the internet and their phones, and I know I sound like such an old person saying that, but they often become the thought leaders in their own families, right? Because their grandparents and parents are asking them what they think about something, what's happening in the world. They heard, uh, uh, they heard a, a new headline on TV and want to know about it. They, they're sort of the trusted member to say, here's what's going on. Let me offer you another perspective. Have you considered this? Their world is so much smaller than their parents or grandparents because of how interconnected we all are. And I think there's tremendous power there, whether it's in voting or something else, they can really socialize ideas in a way that, that takes the whole family along with them. Um, I think there's tremendous power in that. Uh, you know, I had an aunt who passed away not too long ago, but in our family, she was sort of like the, the convener and the thought leader, people didn't always agree with her, but she sort of held court. And, and she also was the person who kind of moderated those family discussions. And in those family discussions, being the, the sort of liberal guy, it wasn't that I always won the argument, but she gave me the space to do Speak, it. And yeah. at least it, 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 it created the, the space for, for nuance and for exceptions and to point to other people in the family who felt a different way. I think that young people have the ability to do that because people trust them because they have so much access to information. They can fact check themselves. Um, it, that I think has radiating effects beyond, but including, but beyond just one vote. It's, it's so much more than that. Um, traditionally, I think we've always looked to older people to lead families and I understand that, but there is a real role, is a real role for younger people to be the fact checker, the convener, the discussion starter, the discussion ender. They, they can do all that. I agree with you 100%. Most of my family ousted me after I brought these conversations to life, but <laughs> but I could agree with you on that, man. Diego, yeah. I, want, I want to thank you for taking the time away. I know you're super busy during this moment. Um, I, want to think, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast, bring these discussions sure. to light, and bring some, some very valid points out. I'm happy to do it. I... I appreciate the fact that we get to talk through all of them. You let you you're letting me do my my, my Mexican Larry David impersonation because it, it it requires these long conversations, and I'm glad you gave it. This you're you're always welcome back whenever you want to come on. Just let me know, man. For sure. All right. Thanks again, Diego. We'll see you guys on the next one, guys. If you if you're listening on uh, on Spotify or iTunes, make sure you hit the subscribe button. If you're watching this on YouTube. Vice versa, go ahead and go back to the iTunes channel and the Spotify and uh, hit the subscribe button there and, and stay tuned for the next episode. And uh, we'll see you guys in the next one. Diego, take care. Be safe out there. Thanks, man. Alrighty.